Underground. Let's do it. Are we recording? Oh, we've been recording. <coughs> we have been. Oh, wow. I, I, just, oh, no. I just didn't see the point in stopping it. We, we seemed like we were starting for Are you minute. drinking Mountain Dew? No, uh, but I'm, it looks like it. It does. <laughs> Obviously, I'm still going with through withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> what is that you're drinking? Please. <laughs> Let me smell it, John. <laughs> it's actually a whiskey sour, but I never I never thought about the fact that I could walk around with a whiskey sour and someone... Totally passes Mountain as Dew. As long as if it was like in a, you know... A, a taller one with a just, straw. Just, just save yeah. a Mountain Dew bottle yeah. and yeah. just fill it right. with a whiskey sour. <laughs> no problem. Welcome to a Movie Schmovie, episode 142. I'm Steve. I'm John. I'm Ron. Oh, today you're Ron. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. See, we found it. out last oh, week. Shit. We found out, well, not last week. We found out last episode what that means, that you feel like tonight you're more like, you're, the, you're more the dark horse. Yeah. The flapping right in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fluttering about in the dark. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, this episode is uh, Lord, I Was Born an Amblin Man, which is our first where the, the title existed, and it's, a, it's our first like pun-based episode entirely. Because <laughs> like. I thought of that, and then I was like, well, what would that be if we were going to call an episode I was born in Amblin Man? And it occurred to me that that Amblin era... The, I mean, I don't know. Amblin probably continues to exist, does it? it yeah. What, what, I don't know. I mean, I, but I feel like there was an era where the Amblin, which was Steven Spielberg's production company... Amblin put out Jurassic World. I, well, I, just, I didn't know. Yeah. I just shouldn't remember if I'd seen that logo in oh, a long yeah, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But either way, that 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 era that you think of as like the sort of peak, sure. not 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 only it's not the only peak of Spielberg's career, but that initial period where it was like from from eighty to to ninety, where mm-hmm. essentially he he owned people's imaginations in a very particular way, and his hands were in all kinds of films that had that sort of Spielberg flavor. Definitely. And I think that's kind of interesting because whereas you can name a director like Quentin Tarantino and say he's had lots of imitators, I don't know that he's facilitated quite as many people that imitate him (laughs) in the same way that uh, Spielberg, you know, there was a whole crop of directors who you'll still see popping up on like TV projects Mm. and the odd, you know, odd film, like people like Mick Garris uh, Josh Brand, and then bigger names like uh, Joe Dante and Joe Johnston, people like that who kind of... Zemeckis. Zemeckis, who sort of seemed like they were protégés of Spielberg. Right. It's odd that he had such a hand in so many of their big films. It's not like they were just kind of nipping at that Spielberg style, but he was kind of like he was kind of like franchising that Spielberg style. Like once he established it in, I don't know, what do we think of as the big movies that established the style? Close Encounters, E.T., so, somewhere in that realm, we got this idea of what a Spielberg film was. And for about 10 years, he did kind of traffic in a lot of that kind of light fantasy adventure for all ages kind of stuff. It wasn't until Schindler's List in, is it 92 or 93 when Schindler's List came out? Steve, can you tell me? I thought 93. 93. That was, that was the same year that Jurassic Park came out. Right. So in the first part of that year, you had... Jurassic Park, which was you know the, one of the prototypical Spielberg big action movies, uh, and then you had Schindler's List, which was one of his big adult films. And since then, it seems like he's veered back and forth with maybe an emphasis on the more adult subject matter. I might be wrong about that, but I feel like the '80s was when he was at his peak as a fantasist and as again maybe working that flavor that people think of when they think of Spielberg. Like what what do you think of when you think of Spielberg and specifically Spielberg in the '80s, Ronald? Heart. Um, dynamic characters, um, beautifully shot films. Heart, heart is a lot of what I think about. Right. Just imagination, just things kind of being pushed to the limit. Even if it wasn't anything outer space, even within like when I think about things like Goonies, how it made me feel, just like this world that it created, and even within that, the parameter that there's no, there's no, you know, it's. No rocket ship, no alien, and it still felt that same level of heart, and it was weird. It's weird. He he had a he had a he had a hold on the eighties. I think I think a lot of the heart also like taps into friendship. Yeah, yeah. Like I look taps at some of some of the movies well. I looked at on the list, like when mm-hmm. we were going over the tops and bottoms. It's like 
it, 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 it's hard for me to pick bottoms only because, like, I don't know, a lot of these movies were, whether they were great movies, like you'd say on, like, a rating scale or critically acclaimed, yeah. I definitely identify with them at a very important time. I mean, I was very young when they came out, but even seeing them in the years after they were released, a big theme that I remember taking away from a lot of his movies, whether he directed them or movies that Amblin just produced or he was maybe a producer on... Um, a lot of it had to do with friendship. There mm. was a lot of things. I mean, you can go down the list, and I mean, there's at least some element, even pulling up. Uh, well, Amblin was involved with it, but I don't know how involved Spielberg was, but Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you, 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 you're you right with the heart part, and the heart, there's family, there's friendship. Like, there's the core yeah. of what you take with you there's a and sweetness remember. and maybe even a saccharineness to some people. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. like some people definitely don't like exactly the qualities that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. But, well, we're not those people. Right. <laughs> at, least, at least I can say I'm not. Well, I mean, it's interesting to me because when I was looking this up, I looked and I saw that Amblin uh, with an apostrophe at the end was actually the name of a short film that Steven Spielberg made in 1968. Oh, wow. And that's why his production company was called Amblin years later. And I think the first movie that was produced under the Amblin banner was Continental Divide, yeah. which came out in 1981. And that's kind of like a, a a lesser... You don't hear that mentioned that much, but isn't that a... Didn't Spielberg direct that? Am I wrong about that, that he directed? No, Michael Apted. Michael Apted, but Spielberg... I've never seen that. Oh, he executive produced. Okay, we'll scratch that. But anyway, so the first film produced by Amblin or under that banner but was... written by Lawrence Kasdan. Right. Wow. Yeah, and starring John Belushi and Blair yeah. Brown. Um and then the next film that came out under the Amblin banner was E.T. the Extraterrestrial in June of 1982. So you can see that that company, you can kind of see right after that, if you look at the list of Amblin releases, it's kind of what you said, Steve. Most of them, if not all of them, there's only a couple that I can't really, I don't have strong feelings about. Um, the, it's like, it's hard not to feel kind of nostalgic for yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I, I think I was getting into storytelling and I was getting into fantasy and I wasn't yet super critical i would i would sort of make myself love something that was back in the days where if i saw a movie i would i would come up with a i would think of what was good about it you sure. know i didn't want it i didn't want it to have been wasted time and so it's interesting that it's hard to be critical of some of these it films really is. and i almost wish if i'd had more time i might have tried to go back and watch a few things because some of these movies i'm i'm, I'm sure i'm being unfairly uh, kind <laughs> to them because maybe they don't hold up as much or maybe nowadays they, they, they would seem like they're a little dated or a little corny but I remember at the time feeling like that was just the flavor that I liked like I liked that that meant something to me to see that that Amblin logo which is the the silhouette of, 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 E.T. of E.T. on Elliot's bike going across the moon I mean that does seem like for a certain era of my life that that was just a it was the thing I was most excited to see in the movies. I, I, I mentioned to you guys before that, you know, in, uh, growing up as a Star Wars fan, which it was my big thing, Star Wars ended in the movies in 1983. And so after that, these movies, these films, this was kind of what filled that void of wanting something a little bit extra, wanting something with the heart and the characters that you guys are talking about, but also wanting that little touch of the supernatural or something that was a little creepy or a little... Like kids having an adventure where things get out of hand and yeah. they actually come up against real stakes, things like that. There weren't a lot of people making good films mm. like this, I think, until until this this era. So, Ronald, anything else? So Not over. So what we're going to talk about then, just to be clear to people that are listening, is our favorites and our least favorites from that decade, uh -huh. from the eighties. Spielberg. I don't know if everything that we're talking about is necessarily produced under that Amblin banner, but I found that when I made my list, everything actually was <laughs> produced by that company. But anything that Spielberg had a hand in as a writer, director, producer, or executive producer, uh, in uh, the, I, I pegged my dates as 81 to 90. Does that jibe with you guys, or did you go beyond that? Uh, no, I went 80 to 89. Okay. So but, that works. Yeah, same same, same basic idea. Same difference. Yeah. All right, now, Ronald, before we started doing this, you mentioned that you you were like, can we just do our bottom threes uh, mm. first? And uh, Steve and I said our bottom threes are a little soft, so we're not sure. We have soft bottom threes. Um, what Do you want to just rattle off your bottom three and talk a little bit about them, and we can kind of okay. use that to start off the conversation? All right. Um, first and foremost, I want to say that I think he's a very talented man, mm -hmm. this Steven Spielberg we're talking about. Um you know, I only really have one bottom, mm -hmm. and that's Gremlins. Wow. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know you were you were pretty confident in this one. You yeah, brought it up. Overrated. Interesting. Really. Overrated. I get what it is. Mm-hmm. I get what it is. I get what it represents. These little puppetry and and, and animatronics and gizmo but man that movie never stuck with me yeah it was never a movie that i personally liked everybody around me liked never really got on the bandwagon Hmm. interesting never 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 so that is on my bottom that might be it honestly so you only have one bottom yeah (laughs) i think really like it's (laughs) it's interesting i don't know I don't know. I mean, like, well, obviously I, you're wrong. Well, I mean, I'm I, kidding, I, 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 obviously you're a dumb face. <laughs> I want to say you've you've had courage to express an unpopular right. opinion. I definitely have movies like that that are so universally loved that I can't quite get into. Yeah. And I might as well go ahead and throw out my bottom because this is a movie I did try to watch again as an adult. <laughs> and in fact, not only did I try to watch it again as an adult, I was out at uh, we were out with some friends and we were about to go back and make dinner at their house. And I saw that this film was on sale on DVD for like nine ninety nine, mm. and I was like, "Oh, guys, can you believe it?" And they were like, "I've never seen it." And everyone I was with that night had not seen this film, and I was mm. like, "Oh, I can't believe you haven't seen this film." Um, and so I bought it, and we went to their house, and while making dinner, we put it on, and you know, we watched it. And it wasn't just that my three friends hated the Goonies; it was what? that it was that I I found it didn't Holy it didn't hold up for shit. me as a as a grown up. It didn't How? hold up for me as a grown-up. How dare you? Oh, my God. My life just changed. Well, I know. What? You both just shat on <laughs> Gremlins and the Goonies. I'm, the thing is, I'm not shitting on Goonies. I want to say this. I think it was perfect for me when I was 11. It was the <laughs> it was the best movie I'd ever seen when I was 11. I just didn't need to watch it again at, like, at 35. You know, wow. I just didn't need to I'm try hurt. to make that trip. And wow. I have that thing. There's a lot of teen movies, like a lot of movies I enjoyed during that era of my life that I still think of as very fine films that I just, I'm, I very pointedly get don't, hell out of I don't here. think you need to relive things. If you're going to slag Gremlins, you can't, you can't get mad at someone for yeah, slagging seriously, Goonies. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> man. Yeah, you, need to, you, you just stay, stay where John is. All According right? to Steve, we both have lost credibility here tonight. But wow. I would, but, but, but I will also say that, um, it's it's part of my soft bottom as uh, on this episode, Your which is to is say that it, Goonies is an is a movie I could probably watch again, and I would probably watch with Henry, and I would probably enjoy watching it through his eyes. But just as an adult, I realized how much of the movie is screaming kids, is just kids going ah, and, and something's going on, and it's it was much more shrill. I don't see the problem. Than, here, okay, see, I, <laughs> maybe you know what? Maybe if you had a kid and you actually yeah, got to experience maybe. real life screaming children, maybe. Maybe. But no, I just don't know that. I feel like it's not even a movie that hasn't aged well. It's a movie that really pointed out to me that that point of enjoying something for its time, enjoying something for the age it was intended, and actually letting something that's a kid. I mean, I'm honestly almost paying the movie a respect by saying, if if it's made for kids, let it be for kids. Like just because you grew up with it. It's part of that whole arrested development thing we sometimes talk about where yeah. are we supposed to be clinging to the things that are made for kids and the I mean as as three people that all sort of unanimous, unanimously said in our last episode that we're very excited about a new Star Wars movie obviously there's a part of us that wants to to still enjoy this type of content but I think sometimes I don't know what's going on up there but sometimes uh yeah sometimes it's just not ready to make that transition yeah. I would say probably the same thing is true of like the breakfast club or something like that that like that movie is perfect for you if you're 13 to 15 but if you're a grown up and you're watching that movie you might find it to be a little simplistic or something and I don't think that's I bad. obviously have problems right but I don't think that's bad. I went and saw it when it was back in theaters this year and I love I still I love, love it well I mean I don't doubt that it, I would enjoy watching it but do you see what I'm saying that certain things like they just because you want things to grow up with you doesn't mean you can make them grow up with you, you know. And just, or and, I could just refuse to grow up. You know, that's probably that the way I'm. That going. seems to be working for yeah, you. Yeah, that's that's the way I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> these films they're just as good as they were, so right. I'll just keep that track. Well, I mean, obviously, my inner child is alive and well. I'm just saying there are certain times where I go, okay, this is that rare thing where there was nothing wrong with it when I was a kid, but I don't know that it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Put up on a pedestal is perhaps what I'm saying. I don't. I don't think it needs to be put up on a pedestal. Gotcha. Interesting. I'll I'll just throw my my soft bottom. I I too have like I'm like I don't know I'm in trouble because some of the ones on here I could still say I kind of like them but right. I could acknowledge they're probably the, they're the worst of the movies on this list that I'm looking at. So just quickly I'll just name them. Two of the three I like I'll tell you which ones. Dad, The Money Pit, and Harry and the Hendersons. Bottom. <laughs> bottom. 
But Harry Soft and the Henderson bottom. and the Money Pit, I actually enjoy I really those movies. Love the Money Pit. Yeah, I, I remember kid. loving watching those with my parents when I was a kid, and they're not great movies, but it mm-hmm. there's a nostalgia to it. It's mm-hmm. a, it was a sweet spot. But I can look at a list of films and say that these are probably the weakest of the of them. And I think that's fair to say. And all of them, I feel like. Um, Dad is a very weird movie to me. Um, have, have you have either of you ever seen Dad? No. Ted I Danson don't. and Jack Lemmon. Oh yeah, yeah, Ethan I know Hawk. the movie, but I didn't see it. Yeah, not yeah. Very weird movie. Um, we should mention executive kind of like produced al- by. Yeah, yeah. In fact, all the ones we've mentioned thus far are all executive produced by. Right, exactly. Was it was in that time definitely though, an where, outlier, like weird, like it came just before Always. Yeah, like mm. I don't know if it was that, that transition. I don't yeah. know something was transitioning. I don't know what it was, but but was his name above the title as it always was with these types of films? For you know? Always. Yeah, I'm sure he had something up top. Yeah, Steven, <laughs> the poster, a Steven Spielberg. Right. Oh wait, no. He, oh, oh, Always. I'm talking about mm-hmm. Dad. Sorry, Always. He directed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always was. Um, no, it's not really all over the poster. Okay. I think it's just like a Amblin executive produced kind of deal. Because I'm pretty sure Goonies and Gremlins both had his name above the title. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm just trying to look at the posters. Yeah, Steven Spielberg presents. Yeah. That's usually what they had is like presents. Mm-hmm. Who directed that one? Same thing for uh, Gremlins. Who directed Dad? Uh, Dad was... Wow, I don't know. Gary David Goldberg. Okay. Who uh, I think created Family Ties. Yes, he did. Yeah. Wow. And Spin City. And uh, that was another show that came on after Family Ties that had Christopher Barnes on it. And that's all I remember about it. I'm looking at his Wikipedia just now, John, and it looks like it's called Brooklyn Bridge. No. No, just kidding. <laughs> He's best known for his work on Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know what it's called. Sorry. Well, you mentioned Always. I'll go ahead and throw that out. That's one of my bottom. Yeah. It's not a movie that I remember very fondly. Um, I mean, and it was directed by him, too. And it was, it was, I feel like it, maybe it's just not his strong suit, or maybe it was just an odd romance, but it was Richard Dreyfuss and Holly Hunter yep. and John Goodman. Goodman. Yeah. I just rem- I remember seeing that movie on a date in high school, and I remember... It was just one of those times where a movie just... I mean, I don't even know if I was thinking about it much while I was watching it. Because mm-hmm. if I was on it on a date in high school, there's a chance I was trying to grab a hold of something or, or, or <laughs> something. Um, but um, I, I, I just remember going to see it in that kind of like, oh, it's a Steven Spielberg film and I feel sort of dutifully obligated to see this film. And then kind of making myself, eh, it was pretty good. It was not bad. And then gradually, it just left my mind entirely. And then, you know, I, I still see lists of Spielberg films. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Always was a was a Spielberg film. I don't know. I haven't seen it in the last 25 years or something, though. So I have no idea if maybe I'm just being unkind. But I remember <laughs> not being particularly distracted by it when I went to go see it. And I have not had much call to pick it back up. Do you have strong feelings one way or the other about Always? No. 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 Don't really remember it a lot, to be I mean, honest. Maybe that's just not his thing, doing like an adult romance type thing you know like he hasn't done much of that fair? anyway yeah definitely fair battery's not included ah i love that movie i actually do too i was re- brad bird wrote that yeah i never knew that mm-hmm. wow i thought you were naming that for one of your bottoms <laughs> no, no, no 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 i actually really like that movie i do think it's one where oh. it's like it's another one though where it looks so much like it was one that he directed like from the poster and everything else it just feels like a Spielberg oh, totally. film but it wasn't you know and yeah. so it was somebody kind of working in his style wow that's cool I never knew Brad Bird wrote that okay so yeah I don't know do you have any other bottoms was Gremlins really your only your one and only bottom no yes okay it was, it was. <laughs> yes that was the only one so you what were yours always always the Goonies, the Goonies, the which again is a is a is, is the softest. It's the, the soft because I know that I when I was eleven I loved it. Okay, um, um, and then I would say this is tough because this is a this is something I want to mention in, in a positive sense. But I want to say about half of the episodes of Amazing Stories. Oh wow, were were not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them were great. 
but half of them were pretty bad. So whereas I might be prone to say, if I'm looking at the Amblin era of Spielberg and I'm going to raise something up, I would point to Amazing Stories as something that cemented that kind of brand name Mm -hmm. because it was a Spielberg show that came on with his name on it and it was on television. And it was a a slightly more family-friendly version of what shows like Outer Limits and Twilight Zone did. Right. Um, But there would just be weeks where I would just be looking forward to it and so excited to see it, and it would just end, and I'd be like, that's what they chose to be about? (laughs) Like, there were some episodes that are really soft or really sweet or kind of dramatic and don't have the element of the kind of wonderment and, and stuff that you kind of expect from him. And, yeah, I would say... Uh, it's hard to do that with something where half of the episodes, or maybe not quite half, but definitely there's there's a handful of episodes that I love from that show. Right. But there was a lot in between that was just not great. So I'm I'm gonna say bottom for Amazing Stories. Mm. But if I were going individually, episode by episode, I might pick a couple that I would say are among my you know still among my favorite things that he was associated with. But cool. So yeah, those are that, that's the tough part. That's the stuff we're not so happy about. Now we get to talk about good. We take a breath, and we can talk about all the all the all the things that again made that made him that name that he is today. Although even like I said, in a different way. Before he was this. Before he was the guy who made films that should be getting Oscars. He was this guy who made these big blockbuster, big warm fuzzy entertainments that that really did seem to usually take off from a simple idea of something imaginative, something kind of off the beaten path of reality, and it would and ground it in those those characters and that heart we've been talking about. So Ronald, you want to get us started with some prime prime Speely? Uh Back to the Future 2. You choose two. Two. Two because one was really, really good. But two did something where I it made me want to put my... <laughs> I love how we both we all just laugh like oh no put your penis in something what are you doing <laughs> like I was say that. is that where it started Back to the Future 2 back in 89 or 88 whatever it was like take like uh, iron and board or put it over some water and try to float yeah, it's just, uh, like yeah. hoverboard I got uh, it make, yeah. make my own hoverboard it's the hoverboard mm-hmm. it's something really cool about that movie and then the Jaws the 3D Jaws mm-hmm. It made the future seem so cool. I was super interested in that movie. And and it was really well done. It's one of the... I talked about this a couple episodes ago. Just one of the movies that made time travel palatable to everybody else. I mean, like, sure, Star Trek... There's no time... There's not really a lot of time travel in that. There is, but not really. Not Not in the same way. This is before you were aware of something called science fiction. You're right. <laughs> maybe before. maybe it started with maybe it wasn't Oblivion. Maybe it was actually no, Back I to think the it Future was actually too. Oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> but time travel done in a way that was very easy to follow. Sure. And two made it even more interesting because of the the sports stuff. I understood Definitely. the sports stuff. They're like, well, what about these sports stats? And yeah. it changed everything. That was really cool. Yeah, it was the first time that I. I mean, because the, the obviously the first one did it well. The second one did it better because it it it, get, it put it in perspective. Like, mm-hmm. what what would the future do in this modern setting versus? I don't know. I, I, and I love the first one. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. So that was my pick. But, well, two, Ugh, uh, you know, it's worth holding up simply because people talk about one, the, the first one so much. Yeah. And you didn't really need sequels to that. If that movie had just no. ended with that, it, it was it suggested more adventures in a nice way. But I do think uh, Back to the Future 2, yeah, it kind of took on the responsibility of doing something really tricky with regards to the way the timeline yeah. worked. You and know? it didn't feel like it, it treaded on old territory that the first one did. Even And the first one feels so unique. And the second one's still had the same sort of nucleus to it but it still didn't it didn't feel like it was doing that like exact a complete same. retread no yeah, you're yeah. right you're definitely right so that that's what i kind of loved about it you know you're right in the sense of being a sequel and not just repeating the first one yeah like it actually it's a really good sequel like ninja turtles 2 was terrible in comparison <laughs> to ninja turtles 1 i'm just saying yeah I love that notion of like talking about great films and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> the shortest leap from great films to Ninja Turtles that's ever been recorded, I think. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, Steve? The obvious one is E.T. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to sit on it too long because I've talked about E.T. too much on this podcast. Um, and it obviously has become the hallmark of Amblin. I mean, obviously, you talked about the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think E.T. is just, you know, 
it's definitely a top five movie of my entire life. Mm. Uh, and just, you know, I think there's so much and it holds up to me. You know, it's an old film, but I mean, I've seen it in its re-release a couple times and it's, um, I think there's like something to be said, like what you were getting at with the Goonies thing, like, and maybe it is because I just like refuse to like grow up in some way, but <laughs> it's very well possible. I am getting married in October, so there's a step. All right, so yeah. give me some credit. Right. Um, but I don't know. There's there's something about like ET is one of the ones I feel like will, which is like the one for me that like as even though I was you know it came out when I was a little kid like a baby I saw it years after that obviously but um, there's something about that story there's something about that character and I feel like it absolutely is my beginning. Like, while I love, like, their Close Encounters and Jaws is probably one of my top three movies of all time, mm-hmm. and I may like Jaws more than E.T., I don't know, but, like, E.T. is where that, like, we talk about that heart, that friend, the family, like, it set, like, a, it, it gave me, like, a set of values, almost. Like, I don't know, it's weird thinking about a movie, kind of, growing up, and obviously having parents and having family and friends, and it kind of allowed me to, like, really identify with what it looks like on a movie screen yeah. mm-hmm. and 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 what it looks like when it's done right you know and i think that a lot of movies that i see that kind of tap into those elements everything in a lot of ways is measured against et for me um and a lot of movies that came after it movies that will mentioned that we will mention i'm sure on this list um you know it the et just is a very important movie to me just period you know what i mean so I think that if I'm talking about the movies that I would associate Steven Spielberg with, especially in the eighties, mm. it's like, I don't know what one comes to mind more than ET. So yeah. it's, that's my first pick. I am realizing now based on the movies that I jotted down that I sort of sidestepped uh, a lot of my obvious ones because there are so many that I, I, I had, that I have not been thinking about. Like ET to me would be one, if I were really just make, making the top three of Spielberg, Related films from this era that left a mark. E.T. would definitely be one, sure, just because sure. I played that movie. I mean, I yeah. would get together with my cousin and we would play it. Absolutely, we would play it like, and we would criticize the other guy's line delivery if he, oh no, he slips on the pizza after he runs away. You know, whatever. Duh. Oh man, and we would get in a fight about whether that's the way it happened or what. I mean, we just were so into it. We and then we would play sequels and we would play. You know, he's E.T.'s back and there's evil aliens. <laughs> it just was something that that loomed large. Yeah, and, yeah. So I would, you know, that would be one I would really love to talk about. But since you just did, and since some of these other movies might never get mentioned if I don't mention them, I don't know that any of the ones I have on my list are directed by Spielberg because I, when I saw the, all the ones he worked on, it was like, okay, I think this is really what I was thinking of when I thought about this episode was what are those movies that are kind of united under that Spielberg feel? Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I would love to say E.T. and I'm not going to name some of the other movies I would love to say until the end because there's some great ones. But in the name of mentioning some of these that he did not direct but that he just produced or executive produced, um, I want to throw a little love to 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes. Which is directed by Barry Levinson, and it's actually from a script by Chris Columbus, which is oh, wow. interesting when you think about him. He also wrote Gremlins, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a guy who. <laughs> I mean, another person whose career was launched, though, in that era of, and we think of Chris Columbus as kind of a workmanlike director nowadays. Who's you know, I I think he gets a little bit of shit just for being. <sighs> what's the word I'm? I want to say what's the nice way of saying bland? I don't know what it is, but it's like I think he's seen as kind of a a milk toast. Director who doesn't Definitely. bring a lot of style to a movie, but he's also competent and he's done a good job on some things. And knowing him as the guy who wrote these films, I always think of him as that. So for sure. me, this is like where I first saw the name Chris Columbus. And, um, you know, young Sherlock Holmes, there have been so many ways of approaching that story, there have been so many attempts at reinvigorating it. And, you know, nowadays it seems maybe like a knee jerk reaction to say, well, let's just do a prequel. But the, the approach taken by this film was to cook up a really cool kind of creepy mystery that brought in elements of the Holmes mythos, but also depicted him as a kid. And I think breaks from the traditional stories of Holmes by having him meet Watson as, as when they're kids. Mm. But it's just a fun relationship. The two actors do a good job of kind of approximating the child versions of what we think of as Holmes and Watson. 
But I just remember seeing this film a lot on, on cable when I was a kid, and we may have had a VHS of it. It just got a lot of play. Um, you know, I have not done to it what I did to Goonies. I didn't drag it back into the light of day of my adult life and watch it again. I haven't seen it. Mm. I have a feeling with Henry around, I'll probably end up seeing it at some point. Um, but I just remember at the time it being one of those cool movies that you see when you're a kid that, like Goonies, where you the, the kids are in real danger. They're messing with real stuff. Like, the adults are trying to kill them. You know, it's not like the kids are having this safe little adventure and it's just stay out of trouble, kids. It's like these kids got in and over their heads and there's there's grownups trying to get them. You know, there's there's actual bad guys. There's actual death. There's actual, uh, uh, I don't know, action. And you don't, you know, at the time that was not something you took for granted in a lot of kids entertainment to see something that was made with a budget and with a sensibility like that. And also this movie is noteworthy because it has in it one of the first uh, examples of CGI animation in, in movies where a stained glass window, a knight on a stained glass window jumps off and oh, he wow. like fights. He's, you know, but he's like, he's like flat stained glass plane. So it was a good use of that early technology. But I remember it being kind of a, uh, you know, pointed to as a groundbreaking sequence. And also just in Barry Levinson's uh, catalog, you don't see that many films that have like supernatural elements like this. And I thought it was a, a pretty well-made film. So, yeah. I, I don't know for sure that it holds up, but I'm I'm, I'm saying... Columbus also wrote The Goonies. Yeah. Oh, really? Did yeah. It? Oh, wow. I, I, honestly, I've never seen Young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Well, you might yeah. like I've it. I've never seen it before. Yeah. Check it out. It's on the list. What do you got next, Ronald? Um, so, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to mention any animated films, so I'm going to mention one. An American Tale. I knew someone was going to have to mention American Tale. <laughs> so that movie for me was huge, man. Like, if So, for each time we watch each... I think we know what our, what our closing song is for this episode. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> for, um, for every time that I watched E.T., I watched... An American Tale. Two more times, and it wasn't because I. It wasn't because I put it on. It was everywhere that I went. This movie was playing somewhere, and I'd never really experienced a situation where, like, every time I was somewhere, an animated film played as much as American Tale right. did when I was a kid. Um, the Mouskowitzes, <laughs> and I thought it was such a fun movie and I thought it was really cool because it was the first movie that I watched where I felt I always felt small and thinking about the way Fievel felt as he was trying to get to a better place as a cool movie so an American tale and yeah. obviously love that movie have you watched it in recent years Fievel goes west I've seen that fairly recently but no I haven't seen an American tale in a while honestly I haven't seen it. I don't know if I've, I've seen it seen since it, the I've theater. seen it over 15 times <laughs> in my life, definitely. Like, And that's just, you know, within like a five-year span. And I know I've seen it enough for me to remember large chunks. So, I don't know. Maybe I should rewatch it. You're making me want to kind of check it out. Well, I was just wondering because, I, you know, I know when we were, like I saw it, when it came out, and I think I was getting a little old at the time for, or at least I felt like I was a little old for it, but I was just always such an animation buff that I just remember thinking that the, at least in the first one, that it was really lush, beautiful animation. I think it was Don Bluth, mm. his company that did it. And they were one of the only companies that ever approached that Disney level of like slickness in their animation. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a really, and I, I remember at the time, it was interesting that his name was on an animated film. But uh, yeah, I, so I, I almost never think of that as a as a Spielberg related project. But he has definitely dipped his toe into animation. Who else was involved in that? Was did anybody with anybody any names associated with it as far as writing, directing, or anything like that? No, not really. I guess in animation, that's a little bit harder to peg. But that was like a really cool time too, because um, if there's a if, if you're interested in like Disney, like the Disney animation, like specifically the Renaissance time of mm -hmm. when like Mermaid and Beast and all that came out. Because there's a big part of it that has to do with um, an American tale with Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia. Because it was, Don Bluth used to be an animator for Disney. Oh. And when he left Disney, he started the Bluth Productions, which was a part of, well, worked with Amblin to put these films out, I think through Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. But those four movies I just mentioned, like, were directly competing with Disney going up to what basically made Disney like the juggernaut that it 
I mean, it always was, but like yeah. reaffirmed. You know, you had um, Little Mermaid and and Beauty and the Beast and um, like Pocahontas, like the 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 like Lion King, like that Renaissance, like yeah. really cool documentary called Waking Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. If if you've ever heard no, of it, I've never seen. It's incredible. It's about that period of time in Disney, and the title is referring to tapping back into the heydays of when like Snow White and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty were like made Disney like gods Mm -hmm. and these films like Aladdin and Mermaid and everything Beauty and the Beast came out and a lot of it they talk a lot in the movie about Don Bluth and about American Tale about how you know how specifically American Tale was the first step in really competing with them because the movie was very successful Mm -hmm. and was well received critically and could have almost passed for a Disney movie in certain ways not really in the animation style per se but in the the story um, but then as they hit that level together, the films that came after that for Blue Productions kind of trailed and oh. Disney kind of stepped it up and just kind of really brought it. I mean, I love Land Before Time as well. Um, you don't like the 15th one? No, no. 15th one. I, they lost me after 12. <laughs> yeah, so many. But years. I don't know. It's, 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 that period of animation is like so interesting to me. I'm not like. Oh, I, yeah. I don't have an animation background or that kind of skill, but that that period of time, especially because you know, like I'm a Disney fan, yeah. like anything Disney, I love. Um, it's really really cool to um, to kind of get in there and and learn about that, and that that documentary is incredible. You should I'm check, it, check out it out for sure. Um, so when you're talking about how you kind of went about picking your top three, I kind of went a similar route where I picked a direct, right, executive producer. Oh, okay, so you went or, down or the tried road. to hit one of those okay. bullet points for each. Um, the one I have here for um, it's 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 written by, but also rumored to have been also possibly directed by. Okay, good. I'm glad um, someone's talking it, about it's, this. It's one. Poltergeist. Yes. Um, love horror movies. Love thrillers. Love suspense. Making a movie like Poltergeist that I feel, I feel Poltergeist holds up, especially after seeing their Poltergeist remake this summer, which I wasn't a big fan of. Mm. Um, going back and watching Poltergeist this summer, I, I it, it's it's definitely it holds up, and um, the story is great, and the casting is great, and the family dynamic that we talked about a couple times now is perfect in that movie. So great, and you know Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, like I don't. I mean, their chemistry in that movie, like the, the their dynamic together, is it really is that movie for me. He is like the ultimate dad. Yeah, and she's so hot to me. <laughs> but they're the, but they're the mom and dad that like they were the cool mom and dad still. They while totally still were. Being but great I remember being a little kid and having these stirrings for that mom. That jersey man, that jersey. Oh, that scene that with the jersey. Yeah. She plus she's cool. She's laid back. She even smokes a little spliff. Yeah, you dude. know, it's like she's no, but she, uh, yeah. That was like peak Joe Beth Williams, though. I mean, oh, yeah. but I, I don't know what 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 happened to Joe Beth Williams. It almost seemed like she was in a lot of things during that era, and then she just she just left the spotlight entirely. Yeah, I'm not but I remember sure. having like the biggest crush on her. Um, but yeah, you're right. That family dynamic, you just bought into it, and the fears they brought into it are just so relatable and so. I mean, I don't doubt that Toby Hooper could have directed it because he was a skillful director on certain things, and he did a good. You know, he he like has had his hand in some pretty influential films. But when you watch that film, it's so like I was watching the scene about the the the, the clown scene just today, actually this afternoon. Um, actually, I was watching a documentary that mentioned it was a that that touched on the fear of clowns and 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 the origins of that. Oh, okay. And they used. Did you see that? It seems like you would have watched Killer Legends. Do you know about that film? No. Killer Legends. You should watch Killer Legends, Steve. It's not. It's it's a follow up to Cropsey, kind of. It's oh the no! Same guy. I mentioned it when we talked about oh, it. Did we talk about it? Yeah, when we were talking, I mentioned the other the doc that 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 guy that made Cropsey had on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, where I they, exactly where they track the urban legends? Anyway. Yes, yes, yes. I know but exactly. The, but what you're that, that whole about. idea of like the fear of clowns, you know, that which they track in that in that movie. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if anyone's listening, I don't remember what you said about it, but I would say check out Killer Legends. Uh, with the caveat that it's one of those documentaries where the documentarian is a little too much in the movie. He's too present, yeah. <laughs> I think we talked, yeah, yeah, we mentioned But I this. felt the same way about Cropsey, and I still thought the subject matter of that made it one of my favorite documentaries of that that I'd seen in a while. So yeah. I would say Killer Legends is cool. But they, they touch on that killer clown thing, and they showed the scene of the, the clown scene from the original Poltergeist. Sure. And it was just, it's so, it's like a classic 
horror scene. I mean, it's just, it's put together so well. It's so creepy. It's something every kid has thought about. And it's horrifying. It's deeply, truly horrifying. You're in your room. You're alone. You're trying to be brave about something, and it's just not going your way. Now, in real life, it's we have the advantage that we don't have possessed dolls running around. At least in my house, we don't. That we know of. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but um, it's like it, when you're a kid and you see that scene, it's like it's striking at the heart of what you're afraid of. Like you feel like you're going to sit down and watch a movie and that you're safe. But I don't think I felt safe watching that movie when I was a kid. I felt yeah. like this movie is breaking open that family unit and it's making it where even when the parents are here and they're trying to help yeah. you, you're not protected. You're not safe. Yeah. Kids are disappearing. Kids are getting attacked by clowns. I mean, that movie really left a mark, you know? Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why I had no interest really in the remake, except for I liked the casting of the, the two the, leads. The, the two lead casting, that's the only positive thing I'll say about that. And I know I said that when we talked yeah. about it, like... They actually are cast very well. Mm-hmm. Talk about I, I, Sam Rockwell and, uh, and uh, Rose DeWitt. Yep, I'll give that credit. But but yes, take it back to Poltergeist eighty two three eighty two. Doesn't touch it. Yeah. And what, mean, do, what do we make of that? That that Toby Hooper didn't direct because what I was trying to say before was like I could believe he did it, but when you watch that scene or any scene from it, it's like it's put together with that Spielberg precision. I need to know more. Yeah. I want to know more. I yeah. was going to actually ask you if you know of anything like that could break that down for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could probably ask Bob about yeah. this because I know he knows a lot about this specific story. Because mm. when I saw the screening of the remake, he started to tell me, and we and it was like one of those we need to finish this later like, yeah. kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, we do because I fucking want to know that. Mm-hmm. But I'm very intrigued by that. Like, I don't know enough about it, but I know that I guess there were problems with, I guess, filming of the movie. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. And Spielberg kind of was there, in. present, but became more involved. But He also wrote it, or wrote yeah, the that, story. Had well, a screen... yeah, that, 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 that was my... Um, this, yeah. was, this was my choice for the, it written the by, yeah. stored, stored by, written by. But, um, yeah, I mean, Poltergeist, Poltergeist would make a top ten list of any of, of a horror movie list for me. I feel like at any time, mm-hmm. and it's and it's funny though because it feels like a safer horror movie because you're like, oh, Steven Spielberg wrote it. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, no, you're absolutely you're you hit the nail on the head. You feel safe in the fact that it's like an Amblin, and it and it's and it's or it's, actually I don't even think it's Amblin. I don't I don't think it qualifies as Amblin. It's but it's Spielberg wrote it. Mm-hmm. But Spielberg wrote it, and you're yeah. like, oh, that's well, Spielberg, you know, and it's a family, and but it's kind of creepy, but it's fucking scary. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Period. Little girl, Carol Ann, mm-hmm. scary. Those, those people, like when they when you see all the spirits in the house yeah. and they're like coming down the stairs yeah. and shit. Like even though that's like haunting in a kind of way that could be seen as kind of beautiful and sad, it also is just creepy as fuck. It just does yeah. not leave your mind, you know. Absolutely. And I still feel like some of the effects in that film, with the kind of swirling smoke and the figures and stuff, I still don't. It still doesn't look dated. I mean, certain yeah. things about that movie look a little dated, but that part. Has not. has not. Yeah. I mean, like that visualization of what spirits look like. It actually, I, I mean, again, some part of me still feels like, well, that's the closest thing to what a real ghost looks like, right? <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess my um, my next one, which I'm glad you said Poltergeist, because Good. it clears this uh, clears a little room for. Um, although, you know, it, we talked last time about uh, Ant Man. And I would say that when when Ant Man came out, I was in the mood for a good shrinking film, and I didn't realize what uh, that there's actually uh. a little subgenre of shrinking films, you know. But it's been a while since I'd seen a good shrinking film before Ant Man, and I was trying to think of what the last one that I saw that was that really stuck with me. And I, it wasn't Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was uh, Inner Space from 1987, uh, directed by Joe Dante, who. Also directed Gremlins and has gone on to direct a handful of other, you know, interesting genre films like that. Um, I think he also did your Space Jam, Joe Dante. Isn't that him? Yeah. But Inner Space is just, it's such a great marriage of the kind of sci-fi, kind of fun fantasy stuff that this that this kind of Amblin brand represented. And just an all-out comedy because you've got Martin Short who at the time I don't think he had done much in the way of of uh carrying movies he was known as a sketch actor and they cast him obviously for his abilities the physical comedy in the movie is really strong and really well developed yeah. and I feel like at the time too Dennis Quaid was was pretty hot I mean he was pretty close to he was in that upper echelon of kind of leading men who could carry a film um and that you know the kind of women like him men want to be him kind of guy 
And it was interesting. I don't know why Dennis Quaid. I mean, I'm sure you could look at his career and see noteworthy roles throughout, but it does kind of seem like there was a point where he stopped being like a huge star. Yeah, and I'm not point. sure exactly why that was. But this was the film where he met his his future wife and future ex-wife, uh, Meg Ryan. Uh, and it's just a cool, funny movie that's got just the right element of of kind of slapstick and just the right element of kind of mind bending sci-fi, and it's got that heart we're talking about too. There's a, there's lessons learned. There's you know there's uh, relationships are mended, um, and and it also has one of the greatest kind of here we go again endings of of any movie that I can think of from that time in my life where it didn't feel like it was setting up a sequel in a shameless way. It really just felt like it was saying no. Once these characters meet up, the the adventures aren't going to stop. So yeah, I would say when when you're when you're coming back from the theater uh, seeing Ant Man, maybe maybe if you if you want to see more good shrinking action. Mm. Check out Inner Space. I'm trying to think of what are the other great shrinking films. Inner Space is really fun. Yeah. Really good. I haven't seen that in so long. Uh, other shrinking films. I don't know. I just think of that and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then there's The Incredible Shrinking Woman with yeah. Lily Tomlin. And there's one other, I feel like, but I'm not space. Well, anyway. Inner Space from 1987. Another another kind of classic on in terms of just it was once it was on HBO or once I had it on VHS, I can't remember which. Oh yeah. I just saw it all the time, all the time. you know, and it it was I always would stop and watch it. And it's also one where I think there's like a lot of funny characters in it. Like there's a there's an assassin, like an evil assassin in it who is played for laughs in a lot of the scenes, but he's also kind of relentless. And he was played by Robert Picardo, who was uh, Joe Dante, one of his big uh you know like you'll see robert picardo pop up in a bunch of joe dante films and it was again he was playing kind of a heavy in this he's the he's like a a, an assassin he's a he's a badass but he's always played kind of comic characters so this is just the kind of skewed universe that movie takes place in where it's equal parts comedy and and adventure story and that i don't think that has been balanced as as well and you know that much since so uh what's your number three ronald my number three. This is the final one. Yep. Oh, is that our number three? Oh, that, well, he started, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Are you trying to decide? Yeah. Well, I know what it is. Okay. It, this movie. All right. Now, let me let me go back and was, did this movie have both Bugs Bunny and? For some reason, I pictured Mickey Mouse in this movie yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are. How was that possible? Well, it it, it, it it was possible because they made the deal that they made, and it's interesting. You're talking about the movie that I was going to have as my as my number one too. So we may as well the mention. most cold blooded scene where he takes the fuck. <sighs> we need to say what movie we're talking about. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Right <laughs> from nineteen which fuck, man. 1988, 88. and that's a Zemeckis. It's also executive produced by Spielberg. Yeah. It's one of those movies that just it's. Even if I remember watching this movie and sitting down with a kid and trying to explain it to him in, in the simplest of terms, that this guy hates cartoons and he can, he's like, what? And then I told him that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny were in the same movie. And it was almost as if I saw his pupils like dilate mm-hmm. right in front of him. He couldn't. So all the wheelings and dealings. But one of the things you'll note is that they are on screen for the same amount of time. That's how they. That's oh, how they that's got how they that deal. It. That just because it was a touchstone film, which is a subsidiary of Disney, or mm-hmm. it was Disney's kind of adult mm-hmm. arm, the perception was, well, we're not going to put our characters, our Warner Brothers characters, like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, etc., in your film, because it's a Disney film. But they had worked out a thing where the screen time had to match, like right down to the fact that I think, I think. Daffy is in the scene visually longer than Donald, but you can hear Donald longer than you can hear Daffy or something. Wow. But, they, they, but they worked it out. They worked it out exactly. But yeah, Daffy and, and, and Donald share a scene. Bugs and Mickey share a scene. Um, animation that still looks revolutionary to me. When I see right, that movie, yeah. I still don't know if I've seen 2D uh, cell animation that is as lush and attractive as the animation in that film. Yeah, it's a... It's a great movie. And Bob Hoskins doing something that would be very easy to underrate what he's doing. It seems like it's just an over-the-top performance, but he's actually really funny and really good in that role, and he throws himself into it. I love when... I love when it's a serious actor throwing themselves into it and you think about what they were actually doing on the set that day. Yeah, yeah. Was talking to something that wasn't there yeah. and doing flips, pretending to be handcuffed to something that's not there and getting up and getting... Ma- I mean, I just... I don't know. I love that. I love... Yeah. That, to me, that's like... 
it's very similar to Martin Short's physical performance in Inner Space. I love it when a movie gives an actor an excuse to kind of do something silly, but it 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 you you have to acknowledge the skill that it takes. Yeah, so. yeah. It's I feel like that'll always get missed about that movie. Like it, he really you really think he's in this world once you see it. His reaction. You really think he hates these fuckers too. Yeah. <laughs> what what before Who Framed Roger Rabbit was like the real mixing of live action animation. That's what I always remember this movie for. I mean, there were things, but it was there always was, there it was, was like, always you know what they always did before that was they lit the live action if they knew they were gonna mix things, they lit the live action flat uh-huh. so that it'd be easier to mix it with cartoons. But uh-huh. what they did with this was, okay, no, let's shoot let's shoot a nice looking movie and then let's light, quote unquote, the animation. Wow. Because that was really the first time you saw that kind of volumetric shading that's what i mean yeah yeah it was it was pretty revolutionary in that sense but i don't think i don't think that before that it yeah it just was never done on that level steve i I know what you're saying and i'm trying to think i know i can think of instances of i mean i don't know um i think in the footsteps of roger rabbit thank goodness we got mc scat cat dancing with paul abdul (laughs) yeah but before it i don't know that there's much much precedent for that wow but yeah roger rabbit and, and i think it's aged pretty well it's an it's a it's an old fashioned story like the dialogue is in that crackling kind of detective yarn kind of style and i think um i think i watched it a couple vacations ago i remember nikki hadn't seen it and henry was of an age where he would appreciate it and so i showed it to them and i think i even texted you guys about just saying i just don't think people write movies i just don't think scripts you did yeah i remember this i I just felt like watching I, i was like this is a good script yeah. Like they cracked the case. They wrote a good script. It was tight. Little things that start off in one scene that seem like an off, uh, just a one-off, actually have a reason for being there, and they yeah. keep coming back. There's really not a lot of fat. There's, there's, it's a twisty turning. One of those detective yarns that, that has a lot of twists where the story really is kind of meaningless by the time you get to the end because of all the double crosses. But all the ideas in it, right down to Judge Doom, as you were referring to earlier, and just how evil he is and what his plan yeah. is, and the fact that we now can look back and say his plan succeeded. His plan to uh you know have a highway going all across the land that has fast food restaurants and what does he say restaurants where you can purchase rapidly prepared food (laughs) his plan for the future of america is what happened you know so in a way it's like it's interesting (laughs) (laughs) in the name yeah who framed roger that name catches your ear it surely does in a way that i've never you know you hear titles like oh okay yeah yeah who Framed Roger Rabbit, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Makes my brain... Oh, those like, two titles? Those two titles, like... We might want to do best titles. We night. should. That's fun. We know your picks that. already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, since uh, since we've... I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but it's interesting to me that Robert Zemeckis has gone on to be sort of a technician of sorts. Yeah. Like, there, at this point... And even for the next few films that he directed, I think that he balanced his love of the technology, like pushing the technology forward in some significant way with telling a fun story. Even Death Becomes Her has like a fun kind of B-movie story to it while he's also pushing forward the technology that allowed him to show like whole two people and stuff. But what happened to Robert Zemeckis? I mean, is he... I know the last movie he did, I didn't see Flight, but it didn't look like... I mean, then he's got this thing coming out... uh, soon that kind of feels like it's very similar to flight the walk yeah just in the sense that it feels like i can see what he sees in it i can see the effects or whatever he sees in it but i don't know is that i mean wouldn't you like him to make something like back to the future or or who framed roger rabbit or something like that again i mean would it even be possible at this point for a director like that to kind of get his imagination back what's up with robert zemeckis these days because i had no interest in his uh christmas carol with with Jim Carrey, either I, I found that hard to look at. It's, it's almost it's almost like a it's like decades. Like I'm looking at I'm looking at his filmography and like since Castaway in terms of what he directed, the entire 2000 to 2010, the only things that he directed were all that like animation that looked like hyper real. Oh, yeah, which stuff doesn't look that which good. Was, which was no. which was um, Polar Express, Beowulf, Christmas Carol, and Beowulf was um, good though. I liked Beowulf. And um, shit, what was the other one? Um. Actually, I guess it's just those three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those three, and then and then it was flight in 2012, mm-hmm. and then the walk this year. I I don't know. Beowulf was actually pretty good, but I'm saying that style, like he yeah. sat on that for like a decade. Yeah. But now he's got like flight and 
the walk, they do kind of have a similar look to them. You know, the problem with that with that animation is that the motion capture aspect, and people are so proud of the motion capture technology and what it can do. I think when you get an actor in a motion capture suit and then you mimic what they're doing, it's like, yes, maybe it looks more like real motion or you've you've got this this but it, it's it's like i think the decisions that an animator makes about how to bend and stretch and mm-hmm. squash a figure are so much more interesting than a computer digitizing what a person is doing yeah like uh, like my hand motions right now if you if i were to have a motion capture suit on and we were to get this you might say oh look at the fluid motions that is how john moves his hands when he talks but if an animator were to think like oh this guy moves his hands when he talks he's going to make cool decisions where a few frames are going to move really fast and then you're going to end up in like a key pose that holds and then he's going to move like this and it's going to have some momentum to it as yeah. opposed to being like a slave to this weird... Do you ever see what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, absolutely. Even in movies exactly that have really saying. good motion capture, there'll be like this weird moment where you're like, I'm watching like an armature make like a kind of a stiff move because it's imitating what a person did and it's <laughs> yeah. not doing... Like, yeah. again, the difference between the, the reality of the world of, say, Polar Express, which looks... Uh, weird and the movements are too smooth and everything looks a little too creepy that's like motion capture technology then you look at like the incredibles which is super cartoony doesn't try to look real but it it's got a weight to it and a realness to it and those are elastic crazy no pun intended with the elastic there but those are characters that move and stretch and vary their poses like like animated characters do they're not beholden to what some actor did on the set and i think that that is such a weird misjudgment like the fact that he could put together something as visually stimulating and still holding up in the animation sense as Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. And then years later, when the technology has advanced, what he's playing around with That's so are these true. stiff mannequin like automatons that just, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, it's almost like a taste. You just, you, you, there's no accounting for taste. And to him, that looks good. And to me, it looks bad, you know? Yeah. Soulless. But... Definitely does. <laughs> But I will say Beowulf was fun. I think because the story is cool and the, yeah. the, the the script was actually good to that. You could have almost done that with with like live actors, and it would have been it would have been just fine. So, so is that is that is that your? I, I guess I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw in, and then when you're done, I'll say okay. one other movie that I should have mentioned because it's the, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number three is Back to the Future. All right, I can totally respect Back to the Future too. Um, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of it, but, um, back to the future might be one of the coolest movies I remember growing up yeah. just th- or thinking that it was, and even now I, I feel genuinely like back to the future holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, and I still feel that way. I feel like it is such a fucking cool movie and, um, everything works in that movie. I don't, I have very little to criticize about it. I feel like most people, would be just blowing smoke up your ass if they did find something to criticize, um, mm-hmm. just because they wanted to be the person that did. Yeah. But um, Marty McFly, Doc Brown. I mean, the premise, the look of the film, the DeLorean, the soundtrack, um, the ending. Like, f- kidding me? Like, Back to the Future is one of the best movies ever made, and um, you know, that's a nice tie into Zemeckis. I mean, so he's obviously got some accolades in our in our camp here, but. Um, and it also just made, uh, well, he was probably already a star, but Michael J. Fox, I mean, I loved Michael J. Fox and I still am a fan, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think one of the things that just is the most amazing thing that to back to the future is, um, it's adventure quality. Yeah. Um, for being that sci-fi, like the, it, like sometimes sci-fi will get too heavy in the sci-fi and lose the true adventure of the the true adventure of something so simple as oh not simple but it's presented enough in, in a way that's simple enough that makes sense to anybody that would watch Back to the Future. Right. What is the mission of this movie and how do you do it? And there's a and there are cues when it's not working mm-hmm. and you know what you're watching and like that is just it's just it's perfect. I mean you don't ever get lost in it. And you are along the entire time. Yeah, and it's just and, complicated enough. Exactly. That like, it, it's not a matter of it making it so simple that you don't get lost. It's like it's it's delivering information and twists at a pace that goes along with the the kind of storytelling that you're talking about. Yeah, and and, and you you always feel like you're keeping up with it. Yeah. Because of that delivery, like you're just stating. But, um, but yeah, Back to the Future. I mean, 
definitely has got to be on there. And yeah. I, I guess that's my, the, I guess the executive producer yeah. category that I'm trying to hit. Yeah, that's it. Well, since we've talked about perfect films, and I haven't mentioned one yet that Steven Spielberg directed, I gotta say, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, come on, that movie is so. It's like when I even when I was a kid, I thought this is like a classic film. I mean, it just feels like a movie that if it didn't exist, someone would have to make it. You know, it's it's the right kind of adventurer. It's such a it's a great creepy. Uh, like the, the villains are, are Nazis for Christ's sake. You can't yeah. really beat Nazis for villains. <laughs> what they're going after is this religious artifact that when it finally wreaks havoc, it fucking, it fucks shit up at mm. the end of that film. Like the, the wrath of God as depicted in that film is extremely like scary and awe inspiring. And as a non-religious person, I can still believe that if I was in that position, I would be closing my damn eyes tight. I would not be, I would be saying like, okay, I'm not going to look at that. I don't want my face to melt off. I just, yeah, you, you, you were saying a perfect movie. To me, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one that I could, I mean, I've seen it so many times, but anytime I see just a minute or something of it in the corner of my eye, I get totally pulled into it. It's like Spielberg at the height of his uh, putting together sequences that just one goes into the next. And when you were talking about that adventure quality yeah. in oh, Back totally. to the Future, I just don't think there's another movie that quite matches Raiders for the there, fact that it does have like, there's a hint of there's adult, themes in the sense that the relationship between Indy and and Marion is one that's had its ups and downs and they've been on the outs and they're kind of coming back together and I think the older you get you watch that you realize how smartly written and performed that romance between those two characters is that there's a history there and also her disapproval of him is such a great entree into like what would be kind of frustrating about this guy the indiana jones is this impulsive guy who's not quite as smart as as he thinks he is in some situations and i mean it's the height of what harrison ford's charm was able to do what it's, year was that that was 82 82 yeah wow or was it 81 now, now i'm now i'm questioning myself hold on folks Spielberg's IMDb page is not a place to go to like get a quick bit of information. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 82, but I could be wrong. 81. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Because I do remember when I went to go see it, I remember that Han Solo was... I hadn't seen him out of Carbonite yet. Oh, you know what I mean? Nice. So it was like another movie with, with, with Han Solo, that, but I was like... This doesn't prove anything. <laughs> you know, I was so young when I saw that that I actually, my parents said, Han Solo's in it, you know? And I was like, oh, cool. And then I went to it and I was confused at first as to where Luke was. Was Luke going to be in this movie too? You know, I don't know if I quite understood how acting worked <laughs> back then. But no, I just, I mean, I saw it once and and then it stayed in the theater for a really long time. That's one thing I remember about Raiders of the Lost Ark was that it was in the theater for like a year or more. And movies used to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember my mom and I would go see that movie. Like my dad and my sister would leave town to go visit his brother. And he had uh, two young stepdaughters who were around my sister's age. So they would go up to visit for the weekend. And I wouldn't go because there wasn't really anyone there for me to play with. And my mom and I, within minutes, they would leave. And we'd be sitting there on a Friday night. And she would say, you want to go see Raiders of the Lost Ark? And I'd be like, yeah. Wow. I mean, we must have gone to see it in the theater five or six times. Just me and my mom. That's incredible. Just going to see a movie. And I'm sure she would remember it too. But it, but it was like, I think we literally loved every minute of it, you know? And it was just, it's funny to picture that now because you would never need, hey, you couldn't. A movie would be gone within a month even yeah. if it's a hit but also you would just never movies are so ubiquitous now yeah. that you wouldn't think about that like you know what i would like to see that movie again yeah meant like going to the theater to see wow. it but yeah so i have such a history with that film but yeah i can't i can't mention spielberg without saying raiders but um it was fun to shed a little light on some of the non-directorial efforts as well yeah but that movie's become a genre in and of itself, you know? Like, it's a throwback to those old cliffhangers from the 30s oh, yeah. and stuff. But a lot of people, I don't think... I think people go back to that movie when they do that style of movie now. Yeah. Like, they look at that as the kind of, uh, you know, ground zero for, like, adventure filmmaking. And in fact, when I was a kid, when I was like, what's the difference between adventure films and yeah. action films? I feel like that was, to me, the big, biggest example yeah. of this is an adventure. It's got lots of action in it, but it's not about the stunts as much as it is about the, the characters, so... So, any other any other thoughts on Spielberg, Senor Spielbergo? Well, I mean, if we were to really look at his career, there's there's a lot more than just the '80s to take into account. So, oh, I yeah. would say that if there's an interesting conversation maybe to have about his his the movies he's directed and maybe whatever trends we see in that, 
but this was this was a fun a fun period and I, I know you guys are a little younger so when you grew up a lot of this stuff was already kind of classic but being a kid when these movies were coming out I mean I got I got kind of giddy just thinking about them tonight when we were talking about them these were such great movies for a kid who was a little bit precocious and interested in movies and interested in stories like all these movies they have like an interesting idea behind them and a concept maybe even you could call it a gimmick but a gimmick that's like blown up into something yeah. special and I know Spielberg's one of your main guys yeah. nah it's 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 a, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about I think it's even even the, just the fact that we can break it into categories like that mm-hmm. and to say decades or what was the theme of these films in that yeah. decade or that period of time and or the fact that we'll be like oh what executive producer writer director whatever it was you know like there's no denying of his of his of his touch on on the history of film and i definitely feel fortunate to have grown up in the 80s and even the early 90s to experience what were what was to come Mm -hmm. in the early 90s which is just you know just as defining of a piece of cinema for me and my growth yeah and also just also with movie history period um so yeah, a lot can be said, but this was a good conversation about that period of time. Yeah, like there's some awesome stuff. Like big films that are important films that are also really enjoyable films in a lot of cases, which you're right. That Definitely. doesn't doesn't always happen. So. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, guys. So Ronald, big ups to Spielberg. It looks like we're losing you. Is it past your bedtime? Yeah. We lost him, John. <laughs> yeah. It was a long day. It's because <laughs> we were delayed by about forty five minutes when you guys were doing travel arrangements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had, to, yeah. had to get him covered for his save, universal. Save almost a hundred dollars. So we do, Ronald. We save money, bro. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, MovieSchmovie dot com. If you want to check out some uh, older episodes, also hit up iTunes, subscribe, leave feedback, reviews, stars, whatever you want to do. It'd be much appreciated. Um, and we'll talk to you next time. As always, you've made our day. Take care. Bye.